Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. And welcome back into the Bama on three show. Once again, this is your host. And once again, I'm sitting here with Jimmy Stein. Jimmy, how are you doing this morning? I am awesome. It is not just game week, not just football week, but we're like in the middle of football week now. And there are, there's a game uh, Wednesday evening, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Uh these are good times. I got to be honest with you. This is how rough my day has been in my schedule. I hope this is not a preview of what this podcast is going to be like because I just said, how's your morning going? And it's about to be four o'clock in the afternoon. I, I didn't even notice. Okay. I mean, I know what you said, but I didn't notice that it's not morning. It's been uh, it's been a day. Well, I just thought you were being a, a champion and, and just kind of going to let me slide by and just ignore it and, hey, let's move on. And no one has to know what time we recorded this, but I thought I'd call myself out. But speaking of champions, what about old Mac Jones winning the starting job there in New England and Cam Newton uh, getting cut? You know, the first thing that leaps to mind for me, I'm not being hard on the fans. I, I think it's just amazing that – one year ago today, Clint, I mean, one year ago from, from right today, I don't know what percentage, but maybe half of Alabama fans truly believed that the quarterback was going to be Bryce Young and not Mac Jones. I mean, a huge chunk of Alabama's fans who are loving the hell out of Mac Jones today, you know, last year were like, yeah, the quarterback's going to be the hot shot freshman from California. It won't be Mac. He's not very good. And, oh. and, and and now look, look what's happened. The metamorphosis. It's not a metamorphosis. I think this has always been in Mac, but just the perception of Mac Jones has changed 180 degrees in the past year. It's crazy to me that two pick sixes created this narrative, yeah. especially when you talk about the, the rest of that football game and how fantastic he looked in it. And yet the only thing that people could hang their hats on as far as knocks against him were those two pick sixes. But, man, people sure ran that into the ground and thought just because, you know, they, they kind of put it on the shoulders of Mac Jones as to why Alabama didn't make the college football playoff for the first time. And really it had way more to do with the defense and some other issues that Alabama was having. And, yeah, you had a backup quarterback. But I thought Steve Sarkeesian did a great job of kind of adjusting how he called plays and stuff on the fly. But we've, you know, he played to max strengths both that year and this past year, helps him become a first round pick. And, you know, it's like I was talking about on Twitter. I mean, think about that 2017 group. And we've talked about it before. This isn't any, you know, when you start actually diving into the numbers, uh, it's crazy. But you had two first round quarterbacks in the same recruiting class in Tua Tungavaloa and Mac Jones who are going to be facing off against one another in week one with the, the New England Patriots set to, to take on the Miami Dolphins. 
But then you also had a first-round running back in Najee Harris. You had three different first-round receivers in Henry Ruggs third, Jerry Judy, and Devontae Smith, and two first-round offensive linemen in Alex Leatherwood and, and Jedrick Wills. Eight total first-round picks on the offensive side of the football for that 2017 class. Will we ever see something like that again? Uh, I mean – no, I mean, no is the easy answer. We've never seen it before. I doubt we'll ever see it again. And what strikes me about that, Clint, is I remember Nick Saban made a joke one time. I can't remember what group he was talking to. And it was a long time ago. So even if it was private, it's out of the back now. <laughs> and I don't think it was private, but he, he said this a long time ago. But when, when someone said, you know, why do you prefer to coaching uh, college football uh why, you know, why do you prefer coaching college football to NFL football? And Nick's answer to that was, well, in the NFL, I could only sign one first-round pick a year. In college, I can sign as many as I want. <laughs> and, and that's exactly what happened with that 2017 group. Imagine if an NFL team was allowed to pick eight times in the first round. Uh, they, would, they would probably do, uh, you know, pretty well in a couple of years. And uh, it's all about dudes. It's all about dudes. That's why I love recruiting. That, you know, Nikki does such a great job on the Bama on three site and, and we all chip in because we all love, love recruiting. But I mean, I, I just, you know, I parse it down to those those four words, uh, you know, or five words. It's all about the dudes. Uh, that's it. It's, it's not Nick Saban's play calling. It's not our fancy schemes. It's not that we switch to the up tempo spread. It's not that we have great clock management. It's not that we teach uh, a way to play football that other staffs don't. It's one reason. It's all about the dudes. Nick Saban unselfishly realizes that, that it's not about him. It's not about the chess game. It's about our dudes are better football players than your dudes. And that's the secret. It, it's, 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 it's that simple. It's like the Big Mac secret sauce is just Thousand Island dressing. It's, it's, it's that simple. It's just about the dudes look at the 2017 recruiting class well and, and you know Alabama does a lot of that other stuff well too you know sure. you're 100 percent right it, it all starts with the players and and if you ain't got the horses you're not winning many races I don't care what else you got um but you know what I find interesting when looking at just that 2017 class in particular is that it showed off two strengths of Alabama, both from a recruiting standpoint and from a development standpoint, just with the quarterbacks. You know, you look at a, a phenom like Tua Tungvaloa being a five-star guy, Mr. Everything coming out of Hawaii. You know, you would think that he would have a ton of, uh, you know, confidence, which he did have confidence, but even to a point of cockiness. You get that sort of personality on campus, which we all know that he doesn't have, but just you have the all-star quarterback and you allow him to live up to those five-star ex expectations. That doesn't always happen. We've seen other people. I mean, you look across at Auburn and, and Bo Nix right now, five-star talent. Not saying that Bo Nix can't take that next step. He's still got some time to, to readjust and get his career on track. But considering where he was coming out of high school and where he's at right now, it's not always easy turning a five-star talent into a five-star quarterback in college football. And then on the flip side of that, you had a second quarterback in Mac Jones who you bring in who was not nearly as highly rated. He was a four-star according to some places. He was a three-star according to others. And you bring him in and you develop him. You turn him into a first-round pick after not being, you know, he, he was sought after, don't get me wrong, but not as highly sought after as a lot of these 
you know, blue chip prospects. So you, you see both of it, managing the superstar talent and developing the lowly rated talent. And I think that's pretty special when you talk about what Alabama has been able to achieve. Yeah, it's the, oh, not, you know, and, and you're right. When I say it's all about the dudes, it is all about the dudes. It takes dudes or you're not going to win. But uh, maybe the development part of Nick Saban's program isn't talked about enough. And, and the best example of that goes all the way back to 2009. When, when, when Alabama won the national championship and Nick Saban had not recruited that entire football team. As a matter of fact, the seniors and juniors on that football team were recruited by the previous staff that was fired for not, for not being good at coaching football. And Nick Saban still won a national championship with the upperclassmen recruited by the previous staff. And I'll be perfectly honest, it's sort of brutal, but, but we're here to tell, uh, you know, what, what our opinion is of things. And that's this the majority of starters on that 09 team that Nick Saban inherited, he never would have recruited himself. He never would have recruited Javier Arenas. He never would have recruited Eric Anders or Justin Woodall or Drew Davis and a handful of other names I could come up with. Greg McElroy never would have recruited him either. Uh, those were not the kind of uh, horses Nick Saban would have plucked out of the stable. He inherited them and then developed them into championship football players, even though in later recruiting classes, he would just not take guys like them. Uh, that, I think that national championship team more than any other is the proof that Nick Saban's not only great at finding, locating five stars and coaching them up, he can coach up three stars into championship football players too. He just takes the easier road when he can because it's easier to coach a Tua than it is a Greg McElroy. Uh, and, and it's the smart thing to do. One, one other quick story I'll tell is from the inside I, I like when I can tell him my inside stories, but I, I know this about coach Saban too. Uh, he had a, a coach that was watching a practice film and was trying to do what he could to improve a, a 15 quarterback, you know, that was, uh, you know, that was uh, on, on the, on the practice team. And uh, coach Saban told him, you know, that his time would be better spent, you know, watching recruiting film. Cause you know, he needed to go sign a five-star <laughs> instead of, uh, instead of, you know, stressing over how he was going to coach up, uh, you know, this, uh, this, this two-star walk-on that was on the team. And, and what he mean, meant by that is just, you know, get the best talent possible and develop them. Uh, that's, that's the thing to do. Absolutely. And, you know, speaking of talent and accumulating talent and, and building a roster, let's talk about what was revealed yesterday, which is the initial depth chart, the official depth chart for week one against Miami that does not mean that it's going to be set in stone. Nick Saban's talked about that. But at the same time, this is the only thing that we're really given and have to go off of. And I thought it revealed, you know, a few interesting things. So talk about, you know, your initial reaction to the depth chart and just, you know, you run with it, take it wherever you want to go, and I'll follow up. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, you know, um, there was a couple of surprises, but it probably wouldn't be what surprised others. I, I was a little surprised that even, you know, listed as second and third team type players were Jaden Roberts and Terrence Ferguson. Those were two names we didn't hear a lot. 
you know, during fall camp as, as a young freshman standouts. Uh, so I thought that that's one thing that jumped off the page to me. Um, one thing I saw, uh, Clint, that made me uh, change my mind about something was the running back situation where Brian Robinson was listed as the starter. Of course, that's not a surprise. But then Jace and, and, and Trey and Roy Dell were all sort of bracketed together uh, as the second team. And, uh, of course, as we've talked about before many times on the show and, uh, and, and on the board and whenever me and you have talked, Clint, is that, uh, look, we're going to do this by committee. I mean, we know we're going to do this by committee. That, that's, it's been clear all along. There's not going to be an alpha like there was last year with Najee. This is going to be done by three or even four guys that are going to split the load. But what jumped out to me a little bit by just staring at that running back group was, you know what? I, I think they are going to literally split carries almost evenly. I, I think that neither Brian Robinson, nor Jace, nor Trey, nor Roy Dell, none of them will have hugely more significant number of carries and touches than the others. I think it will be almost evenly split up between either the first three with maybe Roy Dell not getting as much or maybe between all four equally. Uh, uh, I, and I think at the end, Jace will end up being the most productive of the group. But I don't know, it was something about staring at the official running back depth chart that made me believe more than ever that, hey, this is, this is going to be a three or four way committee. It's not going to be Brian Robinson getting Najee type carry. So those are the things that stood out to me on offense. And defensively, um, here, here's one thing the depth chart is never going to show us, Clint. Um, as we know, we're in nickel on over 70% of snaps. And the depth chart on defense doesn't necessarily line up just as we do in nickel. As a matter of fact, it showed three defensive linemen, you know, four linebackers and five defensive back groups. That's 12 guys. And while it would be advantageous to play with 12, <laughs> we, know, we know we're not. Um, we're going to play with 11, and most of the time we're going to be a nickel. And I think what we're going to see, Clint, as a matter of fact, I'll just say what I know we're going to see is a switch in philosophy. And in the past, Alabama and nickel primarily played with three defensive linemen. That's three guys from Freddie Roach's room and one outside linebacker from South Sinceri's room. We're going to switch that this year to primarily being in nickel with only two defensive linemen from Freddie's room and two outside linebackers from South and series room, because that's how we get our best 11 on the field. That's where our best players are. And Will Anderson and Chris Allen are physical enough to hold up there. And we don't need a 290 pound guy there because Will and Chris are so strong and so good. Uh, that is not reflected in that depth chart, but I really think that's what it's going to look like most of the time only two defensive linemen on the field with two outside linebackers, usually Will and Chris, sometimes Drew Sanders, sometimes Chris Braswell. So that stood out to me too. Like, wow, this depth chart, uh, I'm sure this is kind of where these guys line up in a regular formation, but really this, this, this isn't laying out the formation we're normally going to be lined up in and, uh, and it would look a little different, but um, uh, also one, one last note, Brian Branch, uh, Helms is apparently still banged up. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Brian Branch started in Helms' place at safety on Saturday. And if so, Clint, I think it's going to be – and I like Helms, but it's going to be very difficult to get Branch off the field. I think he's just going to be too good once he's out there. I don't think Coach Saban's going to want to take him off. 
Yeah, and I'll be curious to see how they end up going about that. I mean, it could be a situation, you know, because because Helms has, has done that too. You know, he's played the money role and been the defensive back that comes off the bench, still sees a, a fairly significant amount of snaps, but also is more of a rotational guy. We've also seen Brian Branch be that guy in the past. Um, you know, how they end up going about that will be interesting, but the fact that Brian Branch can play a lot of different positions uh, I find interesting. Now, the, the, the thing is, though, Nick Saban has specifically said he wants to try to get Brian Branch in one position, let him practice there, let him master, you know, uh, getting comfortable in that one role because he, he said he makes a lot of plays when he's confident and he's comfortable in what he's doing. So the fact that he can play a lot of those things, I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up becoming kind of the, the starting safety and, and lines up at safety. And then they end up making, you know, Helms the, the kind of money guy, you know, transitioning back to him, back to that role and, and spot, you know, reps and things like that. I would be curious to see how that ends up playing itself out, but there are so many nuggets and I think you did a fantastic job of breaking down a lot of them. Um, you know, with that defensive line completely agree and how they're going to generate their pass rush. You've got two established guys at outside linebacker. You've got loads of talent behind those two guys at outside linebacker and you know what they did, you know, granted Christopher Allen can drop into coverage actually is very underrated in that area. Um, you know, Will Anderson can do it a little bit as well, but really, you know, your bread and butter with those guys is getting after the quarterback, and that includes the depth guys as well. So you want them doing that as much as possible, and I think they're going to put uh, put them in a position to do that. I'll be curious to see if they end up trying to get three edge rushers on the field at the same time. Uh, I don't know, you know, really who you would kick inside and have them rushing, you know, as a three tech or however they chose to do it. Um, but I will be curious to see how they end up implementing that and how much they actually end up using it. As far as the offense, first of all, I want to give you a ton of credit because you said straight up JoJo Earl was going to be a huge part of this offense from pretty much week one. You said you wouldn't be surprised if he was listed up there with the starters, and guess what? That is exactly where he's at as a co or starter with Slade Bolden there in the slot. Undersized guy, 5'10", 170 pounds, 175 pounds, whatever. You know, I get him and Christian Leary, their height and weight confused, but it doesn't really matter. Um, they're, they're both in the same range. They're within five pounds. I mean, just electric playmaker with the ball in his hands can do a lot of different things for you. Not only do I think that there he's going to be involved in the rotation and, and being, you know, seeing significant snaps, I think they're going to have certain things that are designed specifically for him to create issues for Miami's defense, which is very exploitable. And so I think you did a great job of, you know, nailing that. The fact that Trayshawn Holden and Javon Branch and some of those guys are kind of listed a little bit further down the depth chart than maybe some people were anticipating, that's totally fine. I think they're going to see, you know, continue to see some action, but, um, you know, loaded load up at the receiver position. Absolutely. And then, you know, running back and going back to that point, another great uh, observation. You know, this is not going to be a one-man show. This is going to be a committee in Alabama – I, you know, the, the problem is, is that they have a four-man rotation or a potential four-man rotation, so ha they have the ability to to be a run-heavy offense. But my question to you is, you know, how much is it going to be from a run-pass perspective? Because I, I still I, – maybe early on, you're doing some things, some short, safe passes. I do think at some point, whether it's the first drive or the second drive, I think that they're going to take some kind of shot with Bryce Young to open things up early and get his confidence going. But on the very first drive, you know, I could see them doing some safe things, some establishing the run, which I think they'll be able to do depending on, you know, how that offensive line's coming together um, and things like that. But 
just what are your thoughts on the run pass balance, whether it be early on or whether it be over the course of the season? That makes a lot of sense to me in terms of getting Bryce comfortable. I also think it sends a message to Miami, maybe that first drive when sometimes the first drive is just kind of feeling out, you know, uh, getting kind of a grip, the offense kind of getting a grip on the defense in terms of how they're going to line up, how physical are they, can they hold up against the run? And I, I sort of like the idea of slam and B-Rob at them early. And if they if they they stone it at the line of scrimmage, they do. And if they don't, we can just have our way physically with them. Uh, then, you know, why, why ever move off of that other than some play action cheap shots? But uh, I, I like making Bryce uh, comfortable as, as well as we possibly can by the easy throws, heavy on the run game. Uh, we have to remember Bryce is very inexperienced. He threw 22 balls a year ago. Uh, he did not play nearly as much as a true freshman as, for instance, Tua did, uh, and, and certainly not how, how Jalen did. Uh, he's just an inexperienced guy. It would be crazy to ask Bryce to do too much too early, but I have a lot of confidence in Bryce Young. As a matter of fact, I don't even honestly worry about Bryce I just kind of have this, the same confidence. I just have this inner confidence in him. He's going to be fine. He's going to be really good, and I think he'll be really good Saturday. I agree that, uh, you know, giving him high-difficulty high throws in the first quarter might be a bit much. On the other hand, if you can convince Miami that we showed up to run the ball, then uh, deep throws aren't high-difficulty because you can get guys running free. One other thing you've already pointed out, Clint, uh, you know, what's not a real difficult throw uh, is the bubble screen. And Jojo Earl was sent here by the good Lord to run the bubble screen. He, he will house, he will house a bubble screen from 80 yards because not only can Jojo really run, uh, he will make people miss. Jamison Williams is a true four, four guy. He's faster than Jojo probably. I mean, if they raced out, my money would be on Jamison Williams, but, Jamison doesn't have a ton of shake and bake to his game. He's just kind of a straight line speed guy. But JoJo will make you miss in a phone booth on top of being super fast. So, you know, Alabama can still make big plays in the passing game uh, without necessarily throwing it very far down the field because Jamison with his speed can house a slant. And JoJo with his uh, ability to make people miss, uh, he can house a bubble screen from 80 yards out. Absolutely. And, and the last thing that we'll talk about, because I, I did, you know, find it interesting. Uh, and I've also gotten a lot of questions about it. What are your thoughts on Jalil Billingsley? Because, you know, I personally, I think that this is a lot more so them sending Jalil Billingsley a message. Uh, I don't think that this is necessarily reflective of, you know, and, and it could be a situation against Miami where, you know, he doesn't get to see a lot of action because he's still coming back from that injury. You know, he, he's in the doghouse, clearly. I mean, whether it be Nick Saban's responses or comments or where you see him on the depth chart, he was supposed to be one of the best tight ends in college football. And though he's listed as a second-team guy, he's the third tight end listed behind, you know, not only Cameron Latou, which isn't that big of a shot because everybody's seen kind of the breakout coming from Latou, since, especially since the spring. But also with Major Tennyson, uh, a lot of people did not think that was going to be the case. So was this a message being sent to Jaleel Billingsley, or do you think that his playing time on Saturday will be affected as a result as well? I think that it's, it's all of those things. It is a message, but it's a continuing message. I think since he initially got in trouble, 
he was basically went from first team tight end to fifth team down there. He had, and, and for him to uh, get back in the good graces of the coaching staff, he had to win his spot back by starting at the bottom. I don't believe he's had maybe the best attitude about that and has so far uh, only made it back up to third in terms of his climb back up out of the doghouse. So I think it's just indicative that he's not out of the doghouse yet, that there's still some work left to be done. Uh, I think I've seen all these tight ends play and Latu is a really good player, but Julio Billingsley is the best tight end on this team. Anybody that's ever watched him play would agree with that, but he's third uh, for a reason. And he's third because of his, Behavior. Uh, it's not a secret. Uh, maybe what's going on inside the locker room is a secret, but Nick Saban has publicly scolded Billingsley, and now we see him as the third tight end listed. Uh, that is no coincidence. And uh, I think that we, if we see him against Miami, he won't be the first tight end on the field, and it is indicative of uh, him just being in some some hot water over uh, not following the rules and maybe. Uh, maybe rebelling against punishment as opposed to embracing it. Completely agree. Um, and so that's going to do it for the kind of depth chart reaction. Uh, I've had a ton of fun. I knew that we would have a good time going back and forth, talking a little bit about this depth chart. Uh, it's only Tuesday. We still got Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, and I, I can guarantee you there's going to be some Miami content coming. Um, we're going to be breaking down some of the stuff that's going to, uh, going to be going on. I can't wait to do that. I can't believe that we're only four days away from Alabama being back on a football field and getting to cover that and getting to talk about it. It's not just about what Alabama is going to do. It's about what they've done uh, that we're, we kind of get to that point as well, where we can start doing some game recaps and, you know, actually seeing some of these guys seeing playing time on the field, you know, uh, carry distribution. What did it look like in week one, all those different things. We're going to be able to break that down and I'm looking forward to doing that. Um, and of course, you know, continuing to bring you back on as much as possible, Jimmy, Always appreciate you joining me, man. Oh, great. Great. Uh, it's a fun show. Fun. You do a great job. And uh, just encourage everyone uh, that's listening that hasn't subscribed to subscribe because we are kicking the content into high gear. It's already been good. It's going to be better. And now the games are starting. And, uh, and uh, yeah, patting ourselves on the back. We've done a good job. I, I think if people had subscribed to our premium content over the past two or three weeks, Clint, I don't think that depth chart uh, shocked anyone because I think we basically told everybody what was coming. And uh, yeah, we've done a, we well, you and Nikki have done a good job and, and uh, no, you I can have, include yourself. Don't even, don't well, even try that being modest. I haven't been drunk on a podcast yet. <laughs> well, the, the, the season is still young. Um, and hopefully there's, you know, any sort of, if, if, if you're too far gone on a particular podcast, hopefully that's out of celebration and not depression. Because uh, if it's depression, then we've got much bigger issues, uh, <laughs> whether it be on the field or off the field, both. Um, but yeah, this has been a ton of fun. Like Jimmy said, if you have not, uh, you know, went and signed up and subscribed to On Three Plus, certainly do that. Ten dollars for the entire first year. We're getting college football season started, so that's something that you're going to want to be a part of as we do the, you know, the message board stuff, the premium content, Nikki on the recruiting side of things. We've got everything covered that you could possibly want. And also, go subscribe to the Bama on 3 show if you haven't already as well, uh, whether that be through Spotify, Apple Podcasts. You know, I, I, they've changed things up. I don't know if it's necessarily subscribe anymore. You know, it might be follow, but it, whether you follow, you subscribe, leave a five-star review. We're trying to get as many of those as possible. 
um, and we want to earn those. So if you don't feel like we're doing a five-star performance, you need to let us know because unlike some of these players on the recruiting trail, we can actually switch some stuff up and do something about it. Um, you know, so hopefully we're, we're able to do that for you. Jimmy, always appreciate you, man. We'll talk to you guys soon. This has been the Bama on 3 show.